Coming up next, a half-hour conversation with Alan Shartok, Rosemary Armeo, Barbara Lombardo, and me, Rex Smith. It's the Media Project. We'll be talking about a number of topics people around the world are turned off by the news. Why is that? We're becoming a nation of local news haves and have-nots. And what about the NPR plan to expand podcasts? Let's see what Alan and others think about that. It's a lively program. Join us, the Media Project. It's all coming up next. They wallow in corruption. Papermen meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. Or I meet politicians and grafters by the This is a half hour commentary on the media issues of the week, and we welcome you to join us on the Media Project. I'm Rex Smith, the former editor of the Times Union, now at the Upstate American, if you want to take a look at that. Joined here by the former executive editor of The Record and the Saratokian, Barbara Lombardo, by Rosemary Armeo, journalism professor and former investigative journalist, editor, etc., etc., and of course by Dr. Alan Shartok, the CEO of Northeast Public Radio, man about town expert, a bit injured as we sit here today. Sorry, Alan. Right, I'm a little bit of what I used to be. Well, just a bit mangled, but you'll be fine. You'll recover. Don't worry. I have every confidence that you're going to be just as offensive as ever, Alan. This, I mean, as insightful, I meant to say, of course. The question here, Alan, people are turned off by the news, we are told by a new study, that people are now rationing their news consumption because, well, let's face it, there's a lot of bad news. What can you do about that? Well, it's interesting. There's not much you can do. You can, of course, format your newspaper or radio station or other things so that it gives you good news as opposed to bad news, and people will like you more, but it's a lot of nonsense. Look, there's some terrible things going on in this world, they are reported accurately, in the most part, by our journalists, and people get turned off by it. End of story. Is it simply, Rosemary, just less interest in the news? Is it just that the news isn't as interesting, or what is it? No, I think there's actually therapeutic strategies now that recommend you limit your viewing of news or turn off all the specials, for example, on bad things. And it is indeed true that there is a plethora of bad news now. How we used to do it in the old days, which we all remember, was you had a newspaper filled with bad news, but packed all around it were like comics and horoscopes and interesting little features. That's not so easy to do anymore in the digital age. People get their entertainment and amusement elsewhere. So my thing is, you know, watch the news, but then turn on Netflix. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Binge Netflix. Give that'll, yourself that'll, a that'll little give break. You a break. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a life strategy, isn't it? I mean, Barbara, when you were 
running newspapers, you had to think about this as you chose what would go on the front page. You know, you don't want to give people, if you can avoid it, bleakness constantly, right? True. And this has been a criticism of news. I heard it since I joined the business 40-something years ago, so I'm sure it was happening before, that the news is always bad and there's not enough good news. And why don't newspapers report good news? Well, if it's good news, it's usually not news, for one thing. And I I think what we see now is news fatigue because there is too much repetition of the same news, and it's not really new. So you're hearing the same stuff over and over. Ah, the loops, you mean. That's Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. I think that's a problem that they're still talking about. And the other thing is the way we're inundated with news, which can be good because you hear what's happening and you are hearing it when it's first happening and then you're hearing follow-ups about it. But we just move from one disaster to another. Just think of the Buffalo (laughs) shooting, Uvalde, and now the Highland Park. It's one after another, and one almost seems to make the other one get pushed to the side, and it's one bad thing after another. I think individuals need to monitor themselves, and I think the cable TV watchers have a problem with the same news. Radio is a problem, too. The same news every hour, or you're talking about the same thing over and over without shedding new light on anything. But because of the ubiquity of news, I mean, look, I'm sitting here in a radio studio, and I've got my cell phone in front of me. We all do, because we're looking to see, oh, what if something happens? Well, not not Alan. Uh, Well, no, there you are. We all have our cell phone sitting right here in front of us. Don't be snotty, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just trying to keep things going here. One thing that I've noted since the beginning of time, because you're right, this has always been an issue, how negative the press is, is that the quality of good news is so low. You cannot counter a mass shooting in Highland Park with a cute dog story or with a little kid who's learning math by using words or fingers or something in a program in Colony. It just, they too just do not balance. Good news does not have the impact and weight of a bad story, so, a bad so, news story. So, Rosemary, do we force good news? In yes. Other yeah, we yeah. do. And, it's, and, it, and people know it. And that's why there have been, over the years, you know, there's many attempts to have, like, nothing but good news. Before you could do it online, it was pretty easy. They would come out with print versions that only had the good news and the success stories, and they never made it because they're boring. Yeah. Good news is boring. That is Well, but it's not just news. As this new survey undertaken by Nielsen, which used to be just TV raters, but now Nielsen is broadly surveying the marketplace. It is not just news. This is the most competitive marketplace for attention that we've ever had. There's all this stuff. We're constantly inundated by media, and people are just tired of it. People are afraid. And the ones that aren't totally tired of it don't want to pay for it anyway. Mm -hmm. whether you're tired or not. What was it, maybe 20% of people pay for some kind of online news, and I'm not even sure how they're defining news. Right, exactly. Only one in five Americans pay for any form of online news, and only 7% of them currently pay for journalist email, like Substack, the platform that I'm on. It hasn't quite caught on as much yet. I'm getting your free email newsletter. You're getting it free. That's That's what I do, too. (laughs) You know, but to continue this, it's definitely an attention problem, and the audience can be to blame to this, too. They don't want to read what they should be reading, even though it's bad. But it's also us. We have a lack of imagination in the news business. I'm thinking of a reporter. You know her well, Dawn Fowler. She's a fabulous writer, and she does funny, quirky stories better than anybody. She's been pushing a story to follow. I won't go into details, but because I don't want anyone to steal her idea, but to follow a celebrity around and report on the concerts one after another cumulatively. She can't sell it any place. Online, people say, I would read that, I would read that, but she 
can't publish it. So we instead do these pop good news stories. It's not that good news is boring innately. It's because we don't do great work. We don't put the investigation and the details and the work, the effort into good news stories that we do into failures and social problems that have no solution. That's well, what you we were put all, our effort you on. You were all editors. Let me ask you a question. When somebody brought you a good news story, were you receptive to it? Well, you're receptive, but it's not going to gain you the attention that a powerful scandal story will. You know, a good news story is what you use to leaven the bad news. And and not just to leaven the bad news, but having been the editor of a local hometown paper, a lot of the things that people are interested in locally happens to be good. Somebody accomplished Mm. something, students did something, people volunteered for something. Mm. There's a lot of local good news, somebody was honored for something, somebody yeah. committed a kindness to somebody else. That is legitimate. People like to read but that what's stuff the good news but coming not, out of Washington? That, but that's not going to be the front page story. Yeah, it's not going to be the front page, but also because of the increasing nationalization of the news, that is, local news outlets are dying right and left. We'll get to that in a moment. So many people now, the only news they get is national and global. It's the stuff that comes at them over the internet, and that tends to be disasters, war, Mm. and shootings. Again, when I was a managing editor, I required my approval, top-level approval, to put in a dog story because it was such pap. And the same with, what was her name? Sharparova, the Russian tennis player. She's beautiful. She never won. I said, we're not writing another story until she wins something. They liked her because she was curvy. It's easy. And we're in in an age where newspapers are shedding people. They're not paying anybody. They don't have good reporters. You need as good a reporter to do a good news story as you do a bad news story. And that's not what we're doing. We're doing pap. Well, you say we they like her because she's curvy. Yes, that's true. I mean, that's part of the American experience. Isn't okay, it? so do one story on that. We were running them like at least once a week. I began cutting them out saying, why? Uh-huh. Gotcha. <laughs> also, there is the political element to this. In the United States, here's one of the findings of this Nielsen survey. Those who self-identify on the right, that is as conservatives, are more than twice as likely to distrust the news compared with those on the left. So that is is if they distrust the mm. news, they avoid the news. What they're getting instead is just commentary that reinforces their right-wing slant. That doesn't do you any good. How do you change that? Well, one of the ways is solutions journalism, right? The publisher of Vox, a woman named Melissa Bell, said that newsrooms need to think about producing journalism that is a service to audiences, service journalism, or explanatory journalism, which gives people a little bit more of a sense that they can overcome their powerlessness. I mean, I think we all feel kind of ugh, powerless these days, that we can't change the way things are going. That's things, true you know? and not really new, but it is very true. The trick after that is written is how you get people to pay attention to it. Yeah. I read those stories and I'm always like, oh my God, I didn't learn anything from this because there are no solutions to some things. Like how do you solve gun violence in America if the best politicians can't figure it out? What can a newspaper provide? And actually we have tried. We talk about what happens in other countries. We talk about what happened in Australia, which had a similar problem. They took a completely different blah, blah, blah. We run all those and they just are very unsatisfying. What are Democrats gonna do about Roe v. Wade being pulled apart? We can criticize Biden who just said, vote like we haven't already voted in enough Democrats who haven't done anything that's it so the solutions journalism is a theory in practice I don't think it works except that the editorial pages of all newspapers see themselves as solutions journalists right well I wouldn't I think it's more of a hope that an informed opinion 
can persuade people to take action. To what end? If you're to, writing an editorial to inform people, obviously you have a goal that you'd like to get them to. Right. So you're going to help them become catalysts for change. But it's a tiny fraction of people who pay attention, who read editorial pages, who, who even see print. Right. Do uh, you editors know that? That there are very oh, yeah. few people? Well, but that, there are that people when you're reading. writing an editorial, you're writing to many deaf ears? To an informed audience. You're writing basically to the people who are really issue-oriented already. You're not going to reach the people who most need the guidance that your editorial could provide. And, and that good. attitude that we can provide the yeah. guidance, that's also really antiquated well, we right now. Anybody on social media is doing the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's just Rex Smith's opinion. Here's mine. It's just as valid. Really? Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. uh, when I read an editorial in the Times Union or in some other paper in Berkshire County or one of those places, I often think these guys have thought about all of this. But you're old, or these, Alan. I'm, so, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. It's different. You're not the audience. I mean, this is part of the problem that so many people are not like us because we're news consumers. Oh, you're and, old too? And we're old, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and we've spent decades now <laughs> seeing that as the model, accepting that, oh, an editorial is where you go for thoughtful wisdom. They still do. People some, still call us do, all the time. But not enough. It's just like the roundtable. A lot of people listen to it. Many more do not. I remember they don't want to hear it. For many years, as managing editor of the Saratogian, I was writing seven editorials a week. I think Ooh. one day a week it maybe was like thumbs up and thumbs down for things. But I thought that it was really an important role of the newspaper to provide informed opinions, offer leadership, and people can disagree with it or not disagree with it, but it wasn't just pot shot journalism calling people names or whatever. It right. Was trying to uh, provide information. But now? But then with time, those dreams and aspirations. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is you why know, you of, want to have young uh, people. Uh, this is why we're retired. <laughs> because yeah. you need to have people who have that determination and still have the optimism that they can make a difference. But I will say that, of course, fewer people are reading that in any case. You know, I just saw a list of the 50 largest newspapers in America in print. That is just the print version. We always try to make it clear that there is a vast digital audience for mm. these newsrooms rooms, like my old newsroom, the Times Union. But in print, the 50th largest newspaper only sells 47,000 print papers a day. Wow. Now, isn't that ridiculous? The Times wow. Union used to be the 100th largest newspaper in the country when its daily circulation was just over 110,000 daily. Mm. And now, if the 50th is only 47,000 print, there's just no future in print. So if you're getting your news from print, that is really an outmoded concept. That doesn't disturb me so much if there's less print. Yes, or right. No. What disturbs me is people who are not availing themselves of news at all. And the problem is that there are so many places that are not getting any news that there are more local news deserts. Uh, you know, this has been really researched by a woman named Penny Abernathy, who's a professor now at Medill at Northwestern University. And what is happening is one-third of local newspapers have disappeared, most of them weeklies. One-third. This means that entire regions of our states here and our country have no local news, and the closings have tended to happen more often in poorer communities and in older communities, and especially in rural communities. So this is exacerbating the divide in this country because there's no local news that people are paying attention to and that they trust. This is cutting across political lines, by the way. It's not just on the right or on the left. And this is where we have to look at new forms. Maybe that's where the future of, of podcasts is. You know, young people are paying attention to podcasts. Not all young people. Well, not all young people, but I think there is a, 
a large share of them. And that is one of the things that public radio is pushing forward with. Alan, there's this new push from NPR, a really ambitious plan to try mm. to expand digital fundraising and podcast subscriptions, as I understand it, to try to give people a group of NPR podcasts, which are popular. And if they can get these advertising-free podcasts, if they become members of a local station. So that might be good for WAMC, right? Well, WAMC, thank you very much, does very well. But I can say that money always talks. And this is one more way in which NPR is saying to its member stations, I suppose, you can raise some money doing it, you know, our way. And then, by the way, include us in. I've always been deeply suspicious of the network running the stations. But the stations actually own the network, right? Theoretically, the stations own the network. Right. But in practice, the network has a certain attitude that at least I see that is officious, to put it mildly. And I'm not a big fan of NPR running its member stations. I've always thought of NPR as a service entity for the member stations, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. There, I've said it. There, he said it. So 53 million people engage with NPR's platforms, plural, that is. That is the terrestrial network, these stations that have towers, and they're digital. But only about 5% of those people donate to their local stations. Oh, yeah. Isn't that amazing? That's right. I mean, for example, this radio station has been assessed at having 500,000 listeners a month. That's mm -hmm. a lot of people. Try to put 500,000 people in a room. And yet, it's a very small percentage that actually invest. And the problem is that as digital rises, this, this survey says, says that only 1% of the 20 million weekly digital users give money. So that is only one-fifth of those who give yeah. any money who are digital. And it's the younger people who are therefore not giving any money, who are not paying for the, what they're consuming. I think that's exactly right. But that's where your audience is. You have a stagnant new membership unless you can reach out with podcasts. So I think that's part of the answer here is we need to hope that there's an infrastructure that develops so that the places where there are now local news deserts are able to develop an ecosystem of news, perhaps through local podcasts even. Well, you know, nature, Rex, abhors a vacuum. We all know that. And the question then becomes, who is going to see some economic value in doing something because of the absence of our news producers? To me, the most troubling aspect of this whole news desert thing is that the whole the vacuum gets filled with national news, which is produced by somebody else, and you can get it for really cheap. In fact, sure. the chains take over. They do the same. They cut over local content and make it regional or national. And that also exacerbates our political divide. There are no unifying universals anymore. You know, it's it's all red or blue, and that's how we're defined. But, but going to public radio as a listener, that there are stories, segments that I hear on WAMC that are produced locally by your staff. Indeed. That are worthy of being listened to anywhere in the country. And I think, I think some that's of them the are. idea. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for all of you, I invite you when you leave here, make a left turn and then a right turn, and you will be in the newsroom and you'll see a lot of assiduous people working very hard to cover the news. Here, so, here. I was, I was wondering how your locally produced news ties in with NPR's plans to increase its podcast. Well, now you have touched on a very <laughs> sensitive subject, and I will say that NPR has been known to play favorites. So what happens is if there are local stations that are doing fabulous jobs, WAMC is one of them. We invest a lot of money in our news operations. It's always interesting to watch which stations are chosen 
to supply news to the parent network, which will give it a lot of gratification to the people who are listening in the home area. Are you following that at yes, all? Yes, we are. But a good story will, will find its way. I mean, there's not a there's not a news person who's not going to take a great story and publish it. You know, I can have a reporter I didn't true. like in my newsroom that I will publish a great story. I, I, you're not going to turn some, down. Five years ago, Rosemary cited someone who has a great story idea and can't find somebody to publish it. Well, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> Yeah. There could be, I think there could be a reason. I think that the, I would suggest that the reason that a, an editor might be turning that down is that it's expensive. I think that story well, might be, the they might be worried that that would be costly to support that amount of travel. Mm -hmm. That story requires a lot of concerts uh, attendance, right? They uh, would 50, have to be, there would be travel yeah, involved. Yeah, so I think that somebody is just looking at that. There could be a reason. I don't think it's a, an issue of favoritism that you're turning it down because you don't like the reporter. Uh, if I mean, I've had a lot or of the reporters. Station. I didn't or the, or the idea. Station. Yeah, I think there are a lot of things a great story no reasonable journalist is going to turn down <laughs> maybe that's my problem reasonable journalist you're not going to turn down a great story or a mm. great opportunity and i've hired people that i really didn't like uh because i thought they'd be great journalists i also wonder oh, no, i ahead, just Bob. wondered whether uh remember how blogs were the craze mm. and all the rage and sure now is it possible podcasts. that podcasts are going to go the same way that there's this huge surge in interest in podcasts it's actually still a growing interest but couldn't that also level off and sure. then absolutely sure. and could you just because i always am suspicious that our audience doesn't always know what a podcast or something oh, else is for this pete's is, sake so to tell them so well, I'm really? so sorry. A recording. I'm so sorry you're condescending, <laughs> but please. I'm sorry. Well, uh, just Google I, it. I, I, I would give our listeners. <laughs> That's ridiculous, Google Rex. the word podcast. Give there you listeners, go. I would give our listeners a lot more credit. And if we don't, then that's part of the issue of moving forward and helping to find audiences for yeah. our products. Mm -hmm. But a podcast would be a recording of a show. Like this show. This yes. show is available as a yes. podcast. Yeah. Just go to WAMC.org if you can find that, if you know about the interwebs. You know. It's not that hard. Just it's not that hard. Just use Google. And Just use the Google Basically, machine. it allows you to watch something that you may have missed when it was on live. Yes, That's but I will also give idea. Alan credit for trying to make sure that our readers understand what we're talking about. So mm -hmm. there is, yeah. it's like having a nut graph and a story, making sure people know what we're talking about. I thank it's you okay. for that. Uh, That's very kind What's of What's a nut graph? <laughs> it's that little kernel of a, it could be a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph that explains the point to what we are writing or talking mm -hmm. about. About the third paragraph of a story, the nut graph. It could be in the third paragraph. <laughs> do like you have that. to be a nut to supply it? You do not. Or some people call it the hoo-ha. Some people call it the billboard. If you look at the Times, oh, the New York Times is know. great at the billboard. You know, they, they write these oh, like really... like a subhead kind of a thing that it's summarizes almost, yeah, the point to the story. It fits in there nicely. Yes. It tells you what you need to know. I and mean, many people just read that and skip the rest of the exactly. story. And we wonder why people don't read our stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> read the billboard, read the, the nut graph, and you can skip because so much of the story is what we call B matter, right. right? It's the background of all the story, stuff that's been published before. It's stuff which you need to know to really get the whole range of the story that you assume that somebody knows nothing about the story. That's why you can skip two-thirds of most news stories because well, it's all stuff Well, you're right. Followed. And when uh, Rosemary said earlier about you read something, you don't learn anything new. And I'll read the headline. I'll read that blurb that summarizes the point. And if it's an especially long story, I'll just go to the end. Yeah. And invariably, yeah. the last paragraph or two is, well, there's not going to be any easy solutions. For <laughs> right. <laughs> what will happen? Only the future will tell. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Film at 11.
This is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. Alan Shartuck, Barbara Lombardo, Rosemary Romeo, and I'm Rex Smith, and we thank you for joining us. If you want to share your conversation, your thoughts about this, media at wamc.org. Media at wamc.org is our email address, and maybe you can help explain what a podcast is. Use your own definition. Oh, what a shot. What a snotty man you are, Rick. <laughs> Alan, what do you think about this trend of anchors showing up at big stories? Since most people get their news from television going on still. Years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In Highland Park, the shooting in the mm-hmm. suburbs of Chicago on uh, the 4th of July. Lester Holt was suddenly there for the NBC Nightly News. Is that a value? Certainly value? it's a value because if you have somebody who is respected on the outside and say, ooh, wow, Gabe Pressman. <laughs> Do you guys remember Gabe Pressman? Absolutely. He would show up in New what York. What century was that? This was, he worked was, for Channel 4 WNBC oh, okay. in New York. There were, yes. there were dinosaurs that ran out. Yeah. And, and, and Gabe Pressman would show up to the point where people were complaining that he was getting the attention and not the not subject the of, yeah, the, not the event. Absolutely. Well, that was the case when Sam Donaldson, another dinosaur, was the uh, White House correspondent for NBC News, uh, sorry, ABC News, and he was was more of a celebrity than anybody he was covering. I think we in the media who send people to all these events in person are just so full of ourselves that they think that it adds to the credibility and the sense of caring if they show up at the scene. I think it's hubris. It's journalistic hubris. The same as the byline. You know, reporters, when they're upset with management, will have a byline strike. We just don't even freaking notice that because (laughs) it only matters to the journalists. And if stations didn't spend money on sending hotshots to faraway places that they have no need to be, sending anchors to Ukraine was even worse than sending them to Chicago, you could maybe afford stories that are great ideas that cost a lot of money and you're turning them down because of expense. That's very interesting, Rosemary. Have you ever said to your editor, leave my byline off of this, I'm unhappy with you? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You put changes in there I don't agree with and I don't want my name on it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And, it, and, and they go, okay, fine. And they run the story and no one notices it. Okay. I, my okay, ego fine. feels better. <laughs> yes, dear, whatever you want. <laughs> Just to go back to Lester Holt, the networks make the argument that when you put the anchor there, it signifies the importance of the story to the viewers. Oh, baloney. Right. Come on. You have people dead, multiple people dead, and yet another mass shooting on the day celebrating independence. Come on. You need Lester Holt there to tell you that's important? And yet Rex may actually be right in this case. There are many journalists who will see the absence of a byline and say, ooh, I wonder what's going on there. The journalists It's not a byline as much as a physical, visual presence that we're talking about with Lester Holt and the TV station. Mm. Did you really need Anderson Cooper and Keith? Yeah, I like Rosemary's Uh, point. Imagine how much money, how much good journalism they could have done if they didn't We used to talk about it with things like Olympics or the Super Bowl. Why were local papers sending teams, not just one, teams of reporters to cover events like that are richly covered by national organizations? That money could have been spent to cover, I don't know, even in whatever in this local sports. Are, well, they are must have ignored. thought they were getting something out of it, right, Rosemary? Well, I think, again, I think a lot of it is prestige and a reward. Editors' You're, egos, too. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You know, when I sent a reporter to Who, cover you the with Olympics, an ego? imagine that. <laughs> and you would see entire teams. And it was very hard to break the habit of uh, you know, news organizations would have these big setups at the National Political Convention. Sure. I um, you went. You're a great I went, example. I stood, I stood in front of the camera, 
at and some I told everybody national conventions. There's yeah. a whole team from the local no but, TV station. Yeah. But right? there's an opportunity when you do that to provide local angles to stories and find the local people that are participating and the local people that are affected. So there is and I that value. But that's not what Lester Holt is doing. I will come back and say that again. Those feel so made up when you do that. When yeah. you have like a local reporter covering Congress and passage or attempt to pass an abortion bill. Does it really matter that you have quotes from Tonko as opposed to a McConnell? Yes, it, really it ma- does matter because the to national you, people, not to readers. The national people will cover the national news for us and tell us what McConnell is saying. And I want to know what my regionally elected regional people are doing. And, what, uh, who, there's, and, there's, and you really need somebody there to do that? You could well, do you, that sitting in Albany calling these people or their congressional office where you have an in with them and sources okay. or running a little a little and no argument we're out of no argument time there. imagine no. that <laughs> it's a great conversation folks how quickly this half hour has gone as you've been spending time with us here in the media project by the way rex you are a terrific moderator and i appreciate your being here well thank you alan i really oh appreciate gosh. you saying that it's very Get a kind. room what's going <laughs> Seems to me a police officer once came up to my car and tapped on the window and said, get a room. Rosemary Armeo, Alan Shartok, Marvel Lombardo, and I'm Rex Smith with thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and you folks for tolerating us this week on The Media Project. And that was just this morning. <laughs> <laughs>